You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Welcome to another Economy Matters podcast. I'm Charles Davidson, a staff writer with the Atlanta Fed's digital magazine, Economy Matters. And today we'll be chatting with... Will Lamb and Mel's Dezeu. Mel's, I apologize if I didn't get the pronunciation just right, but Mel's and Will are with the Atlanta Fed's Community and Economic Development Department. And Will and Mel's have been instrumental along with the Philadelphia Fed in developing a new research tool called Following the Money. And what this tool does is help to track where philanthropic investments that are aimed at community and economic development, where they go and why they go there in terms of what types of communities. So, Will, Mels, thanks for being with us today. Sure. Thank Thank you, you, Charles. Yeah. So to start with, just can you guys just lay out the basics of of following the money, what it it is and what it does? The following the money project really came out of a research collaboration with Keith Wardrop at the Philadelphia Fed. Mel's and I, which was in response to anecdotes that we had been hearing from community development practitioners and local policymakers that went along these lines, that smaller and more economically distressed communities were at a relative disadvantage when it came to attracting grants for community and economic development from larger foundations. So we had been hearing that anecdote for some number of years, and so we decided to put that to the test using data that we were able to uh, pull together from the Foundation Center on grants from the 1,000 largest foundations in the country in any given year. Okay. Well, what's important about this? Why, why Why are we interested in knowing this kind of information? Yeah, I mean, the importance really comes down to the fact that public dollars for community and economic development have been on a gradual downslide for some number of years, whether you look at funding from the federal government, from state governments, and from local governments. The fact of the matter is that resources to support these kinds of initiatives in communities have become much more minimal from the public sector. So then the question is, well, where do resources come from? And foundations, philanthropic foundations, are an important source of community and economic development capital for a couple of reasons. One being that they can take risks and test innovations in ways that public sector, limited public sector dollars, tend not to be able to to do because of public pressure and, and politics, et cetera. So foundation grants really can be sort of that first-in money. The first-in capital is sort of the term of art that we use that refers to this, the type of money that allows local practitioners to test new ideas and try new ways of improving communities. Right. So first-in, I would assume that means that oftentimes other investment follows follows these kind of grants? That's exactly right. Right. Well, Mel, so let me throw one your way. When we talk about community and economic development purposes, programs, uh, can you talk a little bit about what we mean? Sure. We examined a pretty large array of grants that have to do with kind of improving the, the physical capacity of a place, the human capital of a place, and grants that flow to serve low-income communities uh, across metro areas in the country. So we we examined about 330,000 grants. We wanted to make sure that they fit this 
definition. Uh, and so, for instance, grants that we included um, flow to areas like housing development, uh, going to support low-income housing uh, construction in the uh, after Hurricane Katrina or to urban development, homeless services, homeless shelters, food banks. So pretty broad array of services and activities that, that we looked at, but that ultimately had the purpose. It serves low-income communities where it boosts the physical or human capital of, of a metro area of a place. So, Mills, what do we know about how communities use the resources uh, they're, they're receiving from the, from the foundations? Sure. We, we went through a pretty painstaking process to fill the grants that we analyzed within certain buckets. So, for instance, we the relevant grants we um, designated as education or core economic, community economic development, human services, health. And we made that part of the tool uh, and put that online uh, for everyone to see. So if a community wants to see, well, where is this grant money flowing? What, what purposes um, is it flowing towards in, in my community? They can use that tool to look that up and to compare themselves with other communities. Well, let's get to it then. What, are, what were some of the main findings from the, from the research so far? We, we found some interesting things that partly supported the anecdotes that, that drove our research. Um, for instance, we found that larger, larger sized areas, larger sized places are in fact at an advantage in attracting capital grant money from large foundations. So that kind of proved um, what, what we suspected. And the effect gets bigger as uh, areas get larger. So smaller sized areas are at a disadvantage. Now, something that surprised us and we thought was really interesting is that more economically disadvantaged communities, so poorer communities, um, in fact, receive greater, uh, on average, greater per capita grant investments from large foundations. Uh, if, if we looked at the data and we found that uh, for every 1% increase in the poverty rate in a community, a community will receive about 7% greater per capita grant money. So, so that was pretty interesting. I think another interesting finding was the effect of the local nonprofit infrastructure in a place that, that actually turned out to be uh, pretty important. So we found that as uh, the density of, local, of the local nonprofit sector increases, an area will receive more per capita grant money, and, and that provides kind of a lever for local areas to maybe make themselves more attractive to large foundation grants. Right. So, so the more local foundations, the more general philanthropic activity goes on, the better your chances of attracting dollars, philanthropic dollars from outside also. Yeah, it appears the more local nonprofit activity, uh, the better your chances. Uh, well, you mentioned that, that, that these grants sometimes, I don't know, maybe they don't substitute for public funding per se, but, but essentially that's one of, the, one of the reasons why we're interested in this. C- can we talk a little bit further about that? What are, what are some of the implications of that? There is evidence in the literature that grant money from foundations substitutes for public money in places where public resources are increasingly limited. But since money tends to be quite fungible when it comes to these sorts of purposes, it's a tough question to really answer in a statistical sense. But I will say that, you know, what we're interested in with this work is helping communities understand what assets 
and resources, they might align more clearly to make themselves more competitive for grant money from larger foundations. We know that philanthropic foundations that are interested in improving community and economic development outcomes want to invest their resources in the places where the problems are the worst or where the innovations to solve those problems seem the most promising. But we also know that in those places, it's not always clear exactly how you can put money to work. So this this body of work is meant to help start conversations in communities, in some ways possibly conversations with some competitive sort of momentum behind them where communities can look at themselves, look at their neighbors and their peers, see where they might be either leading or lagging compared to their peers, and then think about what they have under their control that they can really uh, put to work to attract more of these critical subsidies from from outside of the market. Right. So this information is intended to to be put to use. I mean, we're not. It's not to just sit and and gather dust, right? Right. I mean, the 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 body of work really is several different things. So we've written a a research paper which will be published in the Foundation Review Journal, forthcoming issue of that journal. We've uh, created a tool which is available. Uh, on our website, which allows people to manipulate the data based on where they are and where they want to compare themselves to. And then we've also created an infographic which highlights some of these uh, larger findings that Mel's has mentioned. Can we talk a little bit about particular cities or areas in the southeast and, and a little bit about what you guys learned? Yeah, we found pretty significant variation in, in grant money flowing just within the southeast. So, for instance, you have an area like New Orleans that, that's done – that's been pretty successful at attracting investments from large foundations. Um, so, we looked over the entire study period, which is 2008 through 2013 – and per capita, New Orleans received about $145 in such investments. And if you compare that to other areas within the southeast, uh, for example, Hattiesburg or uh, sm- you know, smaller places like Warner Robins, Georgia, they receive less than a dollar per capita. So there's really pretty significant uh, variation. So how much money are we talking about in total here? I know we we looked at the 1,000 largest foundations, so obviously there are others out there. But uh, what kind of dollar volumes in total are we we looking at? So over the entire study period, we examined about $15 billion worth of of grants, which is is a subset of the the much larger pool of foundation money that's out there and the even larger – pool of charitable giving uh, that's out there. Uh, So it's a subset of it, but I I still think it gives an interesting picture of how these large foundations send their money out. Right. Maybe, Will, this would be one for you. To what degree was this this a real pioneering effort? I mean, I'm sure other work has been done in this area, but were we kind of cutting edge with this? Like most academic research builds on a body of research that, uh, that that goes back some time. But this was, as far as we can tell, the first effort to take these flows of grant capital for community and economic development purposes and try to understand where they go at the metro level. So let me speak to that that sort of methodological issue really quickly too, Charles, because I think it's important. We've gotten some questions from community leaders that go along the lines of, 
Can you tell us specifically what kind of resources are coming into my neighborhood or my block or my, you know, even city? And the issue with that as it relates to this data is that grants from foundations land in nonprofit organizations that might be based in one particular place. And most of the time, those resources are deployed locally, not always. Some of the time, those resources are deployed on a regional or statewide basis. And some of the time, those resources are then deployed on a national basis based on whatever sorts of circumstances or mission the organization receiving the grant is guided by. So we had to make a number of assumptions along the way about where these resources go once they land in the recipient. And what we found in our efforts to make the best methodological decision was that the metro area was for us the best unit of analysis given a set of assumptions about where money actually gets spent once it lands in the in the um, in the nonprofit recipients bank account if you will this idea that the public funding for these types of programs continues to to dwindle mm-hmm. is it a fairly safe assumption that that's going to continue and that, that philanthropic funding, therefore, will, will play an even more important role in the future than it does now? The way I view this is, is more from, you know, you can look at it from a glass half full, glass half empty. Like public money is going away and so we're scrambling to find ways to fill the gap. I actually like to think of it from the other side of the equation. There are new and different types of investors coming into our substantive space, community and economic development, that historically haven't been interested in investing in community and economic development. So whereas in the past, say, for example, the the sources of capital that are available to develop a low-income housing tax credit housing project in a particular city might include some federal tax credits, some state tax credits, and a loan from a bank that's CRA-motivated, Community Reinvestment Act motivated. Now we see the capital sources available to those types of projects to include philanthropic program-related investments or debt from philanthropies, high net worth individuals in communities that are just willing to lend to these types of projects because they want to see good things happen with their investments. And in any number of other sorts of investors who are supplying capital to community and economic development that historically haven't. And so I think that it is true that public resources are more limited. And personally, I can't see a uh, horizon where that's likely to change, although anything is possible. But I do see more and more investors, broadly defined, uh, interested in this in this work in this space. Mel's. Will, thanks so much for your time today. That was uh, that was really interesting, and I, and I think there's a URL, if I'm not mistaken, where folks can go and uh, and check this out for themselves, right? That's right. www.frbatlanta.org/slash/following-the-money. Thanks for listening, and please come back next month. Our monthly Economy Matters podcast will feature one of the Atlanta Fed's economists, Federico Mandelman, and some interesting research he has done on offshoring immigration and how that affects U.S. wages. Thanks a lot. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, 
please visit the Atlanta Feds website at frbatlanta.org.